0: Was the second amendment created as a form of anti-blackness? James Madison will be proud of the Missouri General Assembly who's set to nullify. And our 2A for Today modern militiaman spotlight is hot for teacher. An armed Ogden, Utah schoolteacher is hailed a hero after he pulls out his weapon and prevents a kidnapping taking place on school grounds. Welcome to 2A for Today. The way for today is a program where we explore all things Second Amendment. All things that protect, threaten, and violate the Second Amendment rights of all Americans. From unconstitutional executive orders and legislation, judicial tyranny and overreach, to how you can get trained and be better prepared to defend yourself, your family, your neighbors, and your rights. So, if the Second Amendment's important to you, make sure to subscribe to the New American Magazine and get on the top daily headlines mailing list so that you get an email alert anytime we upload a video or stream a live event. My name is Zoe Warren, and I'm the host of 2A4 Today. Was the Second Amendment created as a form of anti blackness? Let me take a moment and share a quick message to the people of color who may be watching. Do you know how you can know, without a shadow of a doubt, that the entire gun control push is strictly political? This is how you know a great deal of the people in Congress clamoring for stricter gun control laws are people of color. They're generally varying shades of brown. Those same people of color would argue that our government is racist. Then why would you let a racist government take all your guns? You dummy! Doesn't make sense, because it's strictly political. If it's political, it doesn't have to make sense or be logical, it's simply political strategy. They're just trying to move chess pieces around on a board, but don't be a pawn. You cannot take a weapon from a king or queen unless you conquer them. Don't let them conquer you. The constitutions of most of our states assert that all power is inherent in the people, that they may exercise it by themselves, that it is their right and duty to be at all times armed, that they are entitled to freedom of person, freedom of religion, freedom of property, and freedom of the press. Thomas Jefferson to John Cartwright on the 5th of June 1824. Speaking of political strategy a tragedy, there's a new race-obsessed contrivance posing as scholarship, making its rounds across the corporate misinformation outlet. CNN never misses an opportunity to give racist drivel a platform to advance the notion that our Constitution was drafted to protect and advance racism and white supremacy. In a recent interview with Carol Anderson, author of The Second, Race and Guns in a Fatally Unequal America, Carol makes the assertion that the Second Amendment really isn't about guns. It's about anti-blackness. She argues in that interview that it wasn't about guns to fend off bears because during the same period, black people were denied access to weapons because they were black and they had the same bears to fend off. Now I'm not going to go into all of her arguments because they reek of the kind of bitterness that lead to gross misinterpretations and conflations which her interview was steeped in. I will, however, address the central failure of her logic. If Carol Anderson could rightly see reality apart from the race-obsessed lens with which she sees the world, then she would likely be one of the most powerful advocates of the Second Amendment in recent history. Her grievances aren't really with gun freedom. Her issue is not really with gun proliferation, advocacy, or its use in defense of person or property. Her grievance is actually with the disparity of gun liberty between white and black gun proponents. She cites several examples in her interview that make our case succinctly. The Second Amendment is the law of the land, and the rights of the people, that includes people of every color, to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. All of our complaints are based on black ownership and use of arms in self-defense, and for the security of their community having been infringed. Those who penned our Constitution were threatened with losing a war to the most well-trained, battle-proven military of the time. Without the cooperation of the slave owners in the South, America would likely still be a subject of the crown today. It is well noted that many Americans in positions of government did and continue to do many things contrary to our Constitution but we don't simply toss out the German engineering that created the jet engine simply because some Germans did evil things by misusing tools made with such brilliant design. Listen, I'm not gonna devote this entire video to demonstrating that there were black militiamen in several of the states before and after the Bill of Rights was written, or that free blacks were free to express their God-given liberties in various states, including but not limited to North Carolina, and states like New Hampshire who'd abolished slavery and were among the first to propose an amendment expressly forbidding Congress from disarming any citizens unless those citizens were or had been in rebellion to the newly formed constitution. Now, I'm not gonna waste time refuting each point, but I will say this. Gun control to make governments or those in power wield power over certain sects of law-abiding American citizens is anathema to the Americanist federal constitution. There have been judicial and congressional failures to uphold our Constitution during the course of our history, and their failure to protect rights of certain citizens because of their color or otherwise from expressing their God-given liberties, which are protected by our Constitution, isn't lost on me. But if you would just be willing to drop the race-based condemnation of our self-evident creator-given liberties that our Constitution obligates the federal government to protect, then our communities could fight hand-in-hand against the true enemies of our American form of republic those who would transgress our God-given rights, and those who seek to prevent us from having or preserving the blessings of liberty for our posterity. And that's the posterity of Americans without distinction. We could learn a few things from the founders that would make for greater peace. The ultimate authority resides in the people alone. The advantage of being armed, which the Americans possess over the people of most every other nation, forms a barrier against the enterprises of ambition. James Madison. Recently, we remember the Tulsa massacre, which was a great tragedy, but not a massacre in the way that our corporate rhetoricians present it. It was a battle. The black men of Tulsa expressed their God-given right to protect a member of their community from being lynched by a mob of white aggressors. A black man was accused of assaulting a white woman, and the mob intended to prevent the black man accused of the assault from having his day in court. The black men of Tulsa took up their duty to defend their neighbor, and fought valiantly for two long days, but suffered far more loss of life than their adversaries, and the community, the black community, was burned to the ground. The brilliant Cam Edwards of Bearing Arms wrote an article last year where he refutes much of the Anderson and corporate media brand of conjecture. Cam quotes Nicholas Johnson's book, Negroes and the Gun, The Black Tradition of Arms, where Johnson recounts the testimony of black historian John Hope Franklin who moved to Tulsa as a child a few years after the riots and later observed that the black community viewed the 1921 riot as a manifestation of their courage and a lesson about the proper response to racist aggression. Tulsa's black residents, according to Franklin, saw the riots as less about black victimization and instead viewed it as a heroic tale of standing up to oppression. The self-confidence of Tulsa's Negroes soared Their businesses prospered, their institutions flourished, and they simply had no fear of whites. After 1921, an altercation in Tulsa between a white person and a black person was not a racial incident. Even if there was a loss of life, it was just an incident. Such an attitude had a great deal to do with eradicating the fear that a Negro boy growing up in Tulsa might have felt in the years following the riot. The right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. It's violence upon the conscience of men who would defend themselves and is often meant to prevent them from defending and protecting their neighbor. So where even followers of Christ may be enjoined by command to turn the other cheek when struck by an oppressor upon it, he is in no way doing the will of God by forcing the innocent to turn their cheeks under threat of penalty. Where giving your own body to be burned may be praised, it is no way praiseworthy to give over the bodies of the vulnerable and the innocent to be burned when you have the power to act. I will close this section with a quote from one of the world's most staunch proponents of nonviolent protest. Violence exercised merely in self-defense all societies from the most primitive to the most cultured and civilized accept as moral and legal. The principle of self-defense, even involving weapons and bloodshed, has never been condemned, even by Gandhi. When the Negro uses force in self-defense, he does not forfeit support, he may even win it by the courage and the self-respect it reflects. James Madison will be proud of the Missouri General Assembly, who is set to nullify. After eight long years, the Missouri legislature has passed an act that essentially defines infringement and asserts the state's right to refuse cooperation with federal enforcement by legally barring state agencies from enforcing gun control. Now, the federal government loves to create laws for the people to obey, but often resists obeying the will of the people. Obey? Moses. However, James Madison gave us some insight on how to stop federal overreach in Federalist Number 46, and the Missouri Legislature has fully demonstrated their repugnance and refusal to cooperate with the officers of the Union in the matter of infringing upon the rights of law-abiding citizens to keep and bear arms. The bill defines a law-abiding citizen as a person who is not otherwise precluded under state law from possessing a firearm. It includes a provision that would allow anybody who violates the law and knowingly deprives somebody of their right to keep and bear arms as defined by the law to be sued for damages in civil court, and provides a civil penalty of not less than $50,000 against any law enforcement agency or political subdivisions who enforce or attempt to enforce any of the infringements outlined by the law, or for giving material aid and support to such enforcement efforts. The bill also terms the following as infringements. The National Firearms Act of 1934, infringement. The Gun Control Act of 1968, infringement. President Trump's bump stock ban, infringement. The wall just got 10 feet higher. (laughs) Any proposed federal red flag laws. Any taxes and fees on firearms, firearm accessories or ammunition not common to all of the goods and services. Any registration and tracking schemes of them. Any act forbidding the possession, ownership, use or transfer of them any act ordering the confiscation of them, any future gun control schemes implemented by the federal government. Just clap for that, you stupid bastard. You stupid bastard. (laughs) (laughs) The bill, Missourians, and the rest of the country wait with bated breath on Governor Mike Parson to sign this bill into law. And lastly, our 2A for today modern militiamen spotlight is hot for teacher. An armed Ogden, Utah school teacher is hailed as a hero after he pulls out his weapon and prevents a kidnapping taking place on school grounds. A man entered the playground of Lincoln Elementary School in Ogden, Utah and grabbed an 11 year old girl in what appeared to be an attempted kidnapping. Our two way for the day modern militiaman, who the students call Mr. Story, confronted the attacker, was able to free the young girl, and corralled the children into a schoolroom for safety. This guy was like, um, he started walking up and our teacher was holding the courtroom door, and we ran into this um, my sister's classroom. However, the ordeal was not over. The attacker began yelling and beating on the glass of the classroom, trying to force his way into the school. Mr. Story, our hero, then pulled out his concealed firearm, called 911, and subdued the attacker until police arrived on the scene. He did everything that he should do to protect our children's lives here in the city of Ogden. Not once, but twice, he confronted the suspect. Now currently, at least 466 school districts in 19 states allow teachers or staff members to carry firearms. It's a no-brainer to me. We salute you Mr. Story, and we're proud to share your story as this week's 2A for Today Modern Militiamen Spotlight. That concludes our program for today, but again, in the coming weeks and months, 2A for today will be talking to experts, scholars, trainers, and all forms of gun rights activists and Second Amendment proponents to answer the many questions that we all have and unpack the various laws and trespasses of our rights that have already been enacted and those that are on the horizon again. If the Second Amendment is important to you, make sure to subscribe to the New American Magazine and get on the top daily headlines mailing list so that you get an email alert anytime we upload a video or stream a live event. And share these videos with your family and friends who feel the same, or to those that are riding the fence between liberty and tyranny we need a little more convincing. You've been watching 2 Way for today. My name is Zoe. Post your comments or questions, and we'll try to address as many as we can, as fast as we can in the coming weeks and months. Thank you for watching, 2 Way for today.